what a sweet group of people all brave enough to think about pain on this beautiful day. <laughs> um, we experience some kind of pain anytime we're craving something that we don't have or we are stuck with something we don't want. That's kind of how we're defining pain tonight. God says that he will use all things for his good for us, but then it says according to his purpose, right? And understanding what his purpose is for us in suffering and how sometimes we can operate outside of that purpose is what the topic is for this Mental Health Matters night. You know when you're feeling that you want something so bad or you're stuck with something that you'd rather ditch, yep, that's pain. And I have been with a lot of people in pain. Sometimes it's really intense and unbearable, you know, like chronic back pain or cancer or migraines. Or other times people have really intense emotional pain. We have a ministry in the prison and sometimes I'll just cry with these women who their kids have gone into foster care while they've had addictions and their kids grew up to be on drugs and die of overdoses. It's brutal. They go through a lot of pain. But sometimes the pain is much more minor, like our dinner burns or we can't use the coupon that we want to. We just get frustrated or bored. All of that is kind of integrated into this one word of pain that we're going to talk about tonight. And our normal response to pain is naturally a desire to avoid it. So I want to show you, using science and the Bible, how God has a certain way of using pain that not only brings relief, but a host of other benefits. Sometimes, though, pain doesn't always go away. Sometimes we don't cooperate with this design. And sometimes suffering produces not growth, but further injury and more suffering. I believe this result of either a benefit or an injury is directly related to how we respond to pain. So I'm going to pray. God, I pray that you would give us knowledge and courage and connection with each other tonight and an awareness of your love just in this next 20 minutes or so. It's in your name we pray. Okay, so I'm going to talk about two options. I'm going to skip that slide. When we experience pain, we will either depend or detach. Those are the two words I've given you to kind of keep this in your mind, depend or detach. And neuroscience is obviously more complicated than that, but basically our available emotional options fall into these two categories. We'll either depend on someone who knows more and cares more or detach. And we'll address each one in a minute. But, and I'm going to show you the, the ultimate prototype that God crafted to take care of our pain, a solution so genius that MacGyver would be impressed. MacGyver, do you all remember MacGyver? There might be a few of you who don't know about MacGyver, so I'll just take a second to explain. Um, this is a scene of MacGyver rescuing someone, which he always is, but unfortunately he found himself locked in a walk-in freezer like you do sometimes. And just in case you ever find yourself in this situation, I thought I'd explain this. As usual, he has all the materials he needs just lying around. He's got some metal channels and he's got some plethora of ice and a heat source. So by using this metal as a channel, MacGyver melts some of the ice using the light bulb. 
Then the melt water is channeled into the freezer's lock. All he has to do is wait for it to refreeze, you know, and then boom, the lock is broken. And he gets on with his mission at just the right moment. <laughs> and I think this is kind of like what God does. God saw pain and said, challenge accepted. Remember, he allowed pain to enter into the picture as a result of the curse. But he also built into creation not only a way to solve it, but a way to use it for our benefit. So in a second, we're going to watch a video of a mother and a baby. And psychologists like to study infants and mothers because it's kind of like the stem cell of human relationships. It's the closest we can get to a relationship that's mainly driven by instinct and least corrupted by sin. Obviously, there's still sin involved, but it's the best we're going to get between two humans on this earth. So this video shows a mother and baby, and the baby is, it's just a beautiful example of how the mother notices the baby's suffering and responds to it, and the baby feels relieved all within a couple of seconds. So there's this pattern that we see in um, dealing with pain that God will show us. Just You'll see this in this, this tiny baby and this mother interacting. The baby communicates the suffering. The mother notices. The baby's still distressed. The mother holds that baby's pain. And I like this word hold because it's really a great image. We understand holding like if you hold a baby, it's the opposite of dropping the baby, right? You don't drop it. And in the same way, when we hold somebody's pain, we're not trying to get rid of it or dismiss it or get it, leave it, right? And also, when you hold a baby, you're not getting run over by it, right? It's manageable because you're bigger, you're stronger, and you're able to deal with it by, without getting overwhelmed with it. And that's what a mother does when she holds her baby's pain, too. She knows we're going to deal with this. It's not that big of a deal. And so even though she notices and empathizes, she's not that worried about it. And as a result, the baby relaxes, and then the mother responds to that baby's need. In this example, the need is just an enjoyment of the relationship. Okay, so let's go ahead and watch this. Um, we, need, we need some sound. Oh, yeah. With the mother's movement. Then the heads go down together, 620 to 720. Then at this moment, the baby's left hand splays out. And the mother says, oh, oh. And then they both say, what was that? What was that? And then the eyebrows go up on both of them. They go, wow, that was surprising. That was surprising. And then the baby says, I really didn't like it. I didn't like it. And the mother says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So this is the first moment where the mother joins the baby's distress. And then the baby says, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. And she goes, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry. And then she says, well, maybe it wasn't quite that bad. 
not quite that bad. And the baby goes, I don't know. I don't know. And then mother says, I really think you're okay. And he says, I don't know. I don't know. And then he says, okay. Okay. And the mother's happy. And the baby says, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. And then the baby says, I like you. I like you. The mother smiles. And then they both smile together. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> In God's amazing design, a baby will practice this thousands of times in just the first few years. And because the mother is such a resource for this emotional stability, over just a few, few months, this bond is formed. And this glue will keep this child safe for many, many years. His tendency will naturally be to, to stay close at all costs. And any of you parents know that our most powerful influence in a child's life comes from this innate desire in them to stay close and maintain the relationship. So over time, the baby will internalize this confidence, this assumption that I can count on someone to understand and respond to my pain. Eventually, they'll be able to withstand loneliness and discomfort or disappointment or boredom without any fear or despair. So can you see how something that is the result of the curse of humanity, right, the suffering and pain, is used here to facilitate the most important element for human survival, which is an attachment to a caregiver. So our next slide is uh, in your notes. We can see how dependence is this brilliant solution to pain. It, the pain leads to attachment to a caregiver. And then this initial trust and dependence makes it a lot easier for a person to count on other people and ultimately have faith in God, right? Because it's getting internalized over and over again. There's somebody who I can rely on. There's somebody who I can trust. And it's much easier to have faith in God then. And finally, pain leads to glory. So we know this because of this verse. I don't even think we have an idea on this earth what this means, but we can trust it. Second Corinthians says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I'm so excited for that because I can see how amazing it is, how it works on the earth. Apparently, there's some glory that we don't even know about that's coming. Every other developmental milestone in a baby's life depends on this one. It's like the Holy Spirit makes Satan regret that he ever messed with us. You can picture him like, oh, no, not again. <laughs> this pattern of dependence that helps us endure pain is also seen in the Bible. This um, chapter in John 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, 
He's, he's like anticipating their suffering and addressing it. He says, my children, I'll only be with you a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Right? You can imagine the pain they're feeling. Peter, of course, starts whining. Where are you going? Jesus, where I am going, you cannot come, but you will come later. Do you see this pattern? Do you hear like the mother, baby, kind of Jesus and disciples? Then Simon, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answers, would you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. But then he says, like the next thing, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe you but just believe in me, right? Can you imagine Peter after he disowns Jesus and he, he leaves the courtyard or whatever and he's weeping bitterly, how much of a comfort in his, all of his regret and shame to remember that Jesus' next words after he predicted this was coming was for, him, for Jesus to say, don't be troubled. Right? Can you imagine Peter like hanging on? What a lifeline for him this comfort that Jesus was offering. Then Thomas chimes in, Lord, we don't know where you were going, so how can we know the way? And again, Jesus like, I am the way and the truth and the life. So he gives them this beautiful truth that is for all the world to know, for the rest of humanity. We all rely on this verse. No one comes to the Father except through me. But it, oh, and then this great promise for them, if you ask anything in my name, I will Do it. Isn't that so beautiful? So you see this pattern in creation and in the Bible. We can trust it. I would encourage you to read the rest of John 14. It's just so beautiful how Jesus responds to all of them. In our culture, we kind of admire toughness, right? We think we can get our, we, we like kind of brag about it. If we can get through pain with just sheer grit and be fine on our own. But this is based on the assumption that suffering alone produces toughness, but that's contrary to what we see in creation and in the Bible. Everyone has a limit to the pain that they can endure. Everyone. And that strategy of just toughing it out, so good as like going into a sword fight with a pool noodle, you'll lose. True endurance and perseverance comes from having the confidence that someone more capable and caring for us will share the burden. You remember Peter, he's not called the rock just because he's so tough, right? We just saw in these verses, he's kind of whiny. He, his toughness comes from his reliance on Jesus' stability, Jesus' omniscience, Jesus' provision. He's the bigger, all-knowing, comforting one who can hold our pain and guide us through it. I... I will teach about dependence on each other all day long because I really believe it's important. But I also know that every person will ultimately fail us. And only Jesus will be the one capable of handling our suffering perfectly and consistently. But he often gives us comfort through a person. Okay, so unfortunately, suffering doesn't always end in victory. Why is it that sometimes suffering leads to more suffering? 
We see this all around us and in the Bible too. Like sometimes people are just, whole groups of people were wiped out. That can't be good for them, right? I want to explain the easy, not the helpful, but the easy way for the brain to handle suffering. Because if you can recognize it, you will see yourself doing it and it gives you a little bit more choice. Psychologists use this term called splitting to describe this process. It's sort of like your mind's own pressure relief valve, right? But instead of trusting in God's brilliant solution, our brain has a tendency to obsess over relief. Imagine you have a log that's just too big for your fireplace, okay? You'll get your ax, and in no time, you'll split off a piece that is the size that you want. Then when you get a good piece, you might let the others kind of fall to the ground and forget about it, right? Because they don't serve you. Likewise, when pain is too big for ourselves to kind of grasp it and process it, when our discomfort is hard to understand, the easiest thing for our brain to do is split it apart from ourselves and forget about it. And remember, the other option that God designed is to rely on others and himself to help us through it. But that requires a pretty complex skill and you have to feel the pain and share it. It's much more comfortable to grab the ax, but splitting, this idea of splitting, leads to isolation or detachment. Remember I said we have the option to de depend or detach. So detaching from our pain, in that term splitting, leads to isolation. One of my, this is an example, one of my kids hates riding the bus. And one option would be for him to rely on me, kind of trust me, process what's so hard about it. I could empathize with him, and my lack of panic could help him get through it, right? And he might even mature and learn something in the process. But unfortunately, he's not totally matured in this way, and his brain is kind of used to trying to split it off and try to get out of it. So sometimes he'll use power and just tell me, no, I'm not riding the bus. Or sometimes he'll get whiny and manipulative. Why can't you take me to school? Right? He'll submit and accept it for a while, and then something else annoys him, and we start over again. Do any of you do this with God? I do. We've had some major parenting challenges in our recent past, and sometimes it feels so stressful, and I'll just get demanding with God, like, just stop this problem, just take care of it. I know you can change the situation. Or manipulation is so hard, I just want out of it. Why does it have to be this way? Even though I know God is working, he is never just like, bam, provided a way out. There's never like, the pain is over. That does happen in sometimes, but instead, he answers prayers one day at a time, he makes me a more loving person. He gives me insight and wisdom so I can deal with it. He helps me find connection in the church and other resources that can help me through it. And he makes me aware of how much I need him at every moment. And I know this endurance will eventually result in more fruit for the kingdom and for my heart than any other source of relief. But it's kind of like emotional gymnastics. And it's no wonder we often choose the axe, right? 
this splitting is necessary for survival because sometimes when we're young or there's no one there for us, the emotional pain that we experience might um, be really literally too much for our brains and we would break down. Or sometimes you have to like go to work or parent or just function and you can't sit around and talk about your problems all day, right? But oftentimes we get so used to using this strategy that it becomes a habit and a mean trick of Satan. At the very minimum, the, the consequence of this repeated strategy for dealing with pain is that it separates us, it detaches us from God and the closeness that we can develop with him. But it also has huge consequences for our relationships and our bodies. It detaches us from what we feel. Our bodies try to express it and we don't pay attention. Let me give you some examples. Um, let's say you're a husband and your wife is a bit unhappy for you because you haven't been paying attention to her. It happens. So just think of an example like this. Somebody is just kind of mad at you because you're doing something wrong. You don't really understand it and you hate to see your best friend suffering. This causes discomfort in you and you tell yourself, oh no, I gotta change something to make it better, right? But this is not actually holding your wife's pain and under paying attention long enough to understand it and really respond. So your attempts to fix it don't actually work. Doesn't resolve the unhappiness. So then you feel pain. But instead of working through it and talking about it, you might be tempted to just blame or kind of resign. And that's an example of splitting. She is so I think she's just depressed. Is, nothing works for her. She's just never happy. Do you ever hear people talk like that? Or how about young people? If there's any young, like, single people, when you're going through adolescence and young adulthood, for the first time in your life, you feel really separate and lonely. And your feelings might change. You might feel really popular one minute and then despair about your appearance in the next. You might feel close to people around you one minute and then so misunderstood that night. You have really strong faith one day, and then the next you think, maybe I'm making this God thing all up. It's very hard to endure that conflicting, confusing emotions. And a lot of times people are tempted to distract, right, through social media, eating, isolating, pornography, numbing somehow. And those are kind of the least of the harmful solutions. Our brain gets used to coping this way, and so eventually it'll just take one lonely night or some, a period of boredom. It's too intolerable, and you'll do something to medicate. I'm hoping that our next mental health night will be focused on getting freedom from that medication that we perpetually do called addiction. Often mothers have uh, this problem of splitting too. Maybe you feel some fear or some failure in parenting, but confessing failure and seeking comfort and guidance on a daily basis is difficult. And maybe you don't have anyone. And so instead, you blame your husband, or you give up on your kids, or you judge someone else. It makes you feel better. All of these are evidences of like splitting away something that causes too much anxiety or pain to think about. But can you see how it leads to isolation? Okay, so you might be convinced 
that depending on someone is the best way to deal with pain, but you don't have anyone reliable enough to share it with. And you might be right. Sometimes our own pain causes anxiety in the other person and they can't hold it. And trying to depend on someone has brought you even more pain because they disappoint us. I don't blame you for giving up on it. There are several reasons for this reality. Often the people that we are around don't have the ability to pay attention. They're struggling themselves with so much of their own pain. This is a major setback. But we were never meant to be completely satisfied in sinful people anyway. God said that it wasn't good for man to be alone, even when God was with him. So I really think that he ordained this system that you would desire support from another person. Okay, so sometimes Christians get this idea that I should not need another person because I should only, my needs can only be met in Christ alone, but God did give us each other, and he did design this system. But we also know that it's true that only he is perfectly understanding and always there bringing you close. We must give grace to people who have never had someone to depend on. It will be more difficult for them to tolerate pain. And we must patiently try again and again to express our pain and to be understood. It will take many tries. And we must make ourselves available to hold the pain of others. And when they are struggling, it will bring us close. And finally, we must rely on the, on the tenderness of Jesus to help us endure and find peace. It will relieve you. I love this verse in Isaiah 30. It says, And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left just love that feeling of closeness with Jesus. That's all we need. C.S. Lewis says, when pain is to be born, a little courage helps more than knowledge. A little human sympathy more than much courage. And the least tincture of the love of God more than all. So I've prayed tonight that you would gain a little knowledge about the power and purpose of pain but also that you'd be encouraged, that you don't have to be strong on your own, and that you would gain sympathy for your own pain and for that of others around you. And hopefully you've heard in these beautiful verses how much God truly loves you. Thank you.